I am a really strong believer that no one is going to run the same exact business as you because no one has lived everything that you have lived through. I was hoping you would say this. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly like you've lived it, you know? Like, no one has had that exact experience or the exact knowledge that you have. Like, no one is going to create the exact same business that you have. What I think people get afraid of is like, yeah, they might be still similar concepts, but at the end of the day, like that's, that's the importance of running this competitor analysis, right? Yeah. What I'm hearing is that you never have a direct competition because yeah. your experience is yours only. And that's actually part of your business plan. You yep. incorporate your journey. We still yeah. You're listening to Moneda Moves, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura. I'm your host, Leon Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I will highlight stories illustrating Latinx relationships with money, our contributions, and role in the American economy. Here, we'll increase transparency around the netto issues and achievements of our community, as well as that of our POC peers, to inspire you to pursue your own financial poder. Join me bi-weekly as we cover stories with our community's front and center alongside dinero experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators. No te lo quieras perder. Ashley K. Stoyano Vojeda is expert at helping people launch themselves, whether it's endeavors like music, a career, or founding and growing a company. Her journey to coaching entrepreneurs has been anything but traditional, yet wholly authentic. And if anything, that's her superpower. Through building community for the music industry and then learning about how to help others do the same, she's become fondly known among her followers as the business Ada Madrina, or the business fairy godmother. Today, she's a development strategist, coach, and author of the newly debuted book, Hefa in Training, a guidebook to becoming a successful entrepreneur. Ashley's career started in the music industry in 2012, and after working at major record labels, created her own network for local women songwriters, now a national organization that has been featured in the Recording Academy called Women Crush Music. Since the growth of her organization, she has dedicated her career to developing businesses and communities of underrepresented entrepreneurs through her coaching. Her book today received praise of the likes of Eva Longoria, We Are All Humans, Claudia Romo Edelman, and Suma Wells, Petriz Acevedo. Today, we're so excited to speak with Ashley about her path to entrepreneurship and actionable tips for entrepreneurs across the board, but especially Latinas. So without further ado, here's the Hefa in charge. Moneda Moves listeners, welcome back. Today, we are welcoming here to the podcast, Ashley K. Stoyanov Ojeda, author of Hefa in Training. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Long time Moneda and Bland fan. So really happy to be here. <laughs> and listen, I have to commend you because this book launch has been so strategically planned. You have some major, major heavy hitters coming out and talking about your book, talking about being happy and training. And what an amazing time to drop a book like this. Some of the voices that I saw were Claudia Romo Edelman of We Are Human, Eva Longoria, who's an entrepreneur, not just an actress, not just a director, right? Multi-hyphenate. And so this book, Hefa in Training, is all about addressing the Latinas that created their company. And I say it's such an opportune time because during the pandemic, we saw a lot of women 
some not by choice, leave the workforce, many not by choice, especially in the Latina community, but out of that build their businesses. And so in this tool book, you're providing us with steps, actionable steps, tools. And we were just talking about this. It's also workbook style to a certain degree. So you can take what you learned and then apply it to what you're building here. I think your entry into entrepreneurship though is so unique and you talk about it in your book, but it speaks about to the way that so many Latinas aim to make a change in today's world. Your entry into entrepreneurship was about really driving a movement at a, at a local level and then even at a bigger level. So can you talk to us about your passion uh, for songwriting and how that drove you to entrepreneurship? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much first for all those kind words about the book. <laughs> that means a lot. Um, but my journey into entrepreneurship was definitely anything but traditional. And it really kind of all started by accident. Um, so I started as a singer songwriter, uh, was in a series of failed bands as well. And, you know, throughout all of college, I just was so set on being a songwriter. And so I was performing a lot. And after I graduated, I moved across the country to Portland, Oregon from New York City. I didn't really know anyone here. I just kind of fell in love with the greenery of it all and how chill people were on the West Coast. And I just wanted to stay here for a bit and figure myself out and um, find myself is what I said. And what I ended up finding really was what I ended up really being good at. Um, but I didn't know that until much later. I was just kind of looking to create a community of local songwriters like me who just wanted to write music and share resources, especially as a woman in the music industry. It can feel a little lonely and kind of like everyone is out to get you because there's the creepy producers, creepy booking agents that don't want to pay you all those things I faced in New York music scene. And so when I came here, I was just kind of trying to get my footing and I didn't really find anything that I was looking for. So I realized that there was a local venue in town that had an opening for a monthly curated showcase. And even when I was in New York, I was always uh, curating showcases with my friends. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I just made some friends this way and like just got a bunch of people to play every month. So that's how it started in the first couple of months, just me trying to make friends in this, this new place. And then something crazy happened and it just kind of took off really organically. The showcase started packing like 50 to 100 people in this tiny 30 person venue. Local media started coming out to cover the showcases. Booking agents were coming to find local talent. Like it was, it was nuts. And by month three, I think I already had like a year's worth of shows like booked out already. Like people wow. were into it. And at that point I was just like, I've met so many amazing songwriters. How else can I help them? At that point, I only had a media communications degree. I started out in music PR. So I thought, should I start like a music PR branch of whatever this is? Did I just start like a booking agency? Like what, what did I just do and how can I make it better? I had no idea what I was doing then. And so, so you started, you started from like, let's just do it, do it. ran with that. And then you were like, okay, wait, but what are we actually doing? That's literally like it turned out pretty great. 
Yeah. I mean, so it grew organically very quickly. And once I started trying to figure out what I was doing and what the next steps were, um, more and more people in different cities were just like, we need something like this. We need something like this. And I was just like, I don't know what this is, but they need it. So I should probably figure it out and just start it. And so after like a little bit of research and talking to some people in the industry, um, I decided to go the nonprofit route because I really was not a fan of those companies that like exploit artists and charge them a lot of money for things. And I'm not really a believer in that. So I decided to create this nonprofit. And within a year of making that decision, we went from just doing activities in Portland to 16 cities internationally. So it was a huge jump. And I went from being a team of just me to 50 plus volunteers all over the country and in Canada. And it went really, really, really well for the first couple of years. And it was just growing and growing and growing and growing. And Um, because of the rapid growth, other creative entrepreneurs started approaching me like, Hey, can you help me launch this podcast or this blog or this, whatever small business. And I was just like, yeah, like, and that's when I realized like, I really, really like helping people launch stuff. And that turns out it's not just launching music careers that I like helping people with, but it's kind of just everything. And, um, and that kind of evolved into me, um, working for some, corporate companies in biz dev and community building and then startups. And then it turned into me just consulting and coaching um, for mainly the new majority owned businesses. And it's been a journey and, and I'm so happy that it all started this way. (laughs) It all started with launching something you were passionate about. Yes. So now that I'm hearing a little bit more about your trajectory in launching this movement, really in community in the music space, would you liken that, um, to what you ended up doing in helping entrepreneurs with their journey? Would you liken those two things? Yes. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people don't realize that when the moment you decide to be a songwriter or performer, and now I'm learning author, um, that you're literally starting another business. You have to learn how to pitch yourself and about branding and about literally selling your music, you know, gone are the days where like regular, some record label is going to pick you up and be like, I'm going to develop you. (laughs) Like that rarely happens these days. And so I think my career, even from when I was just starting to perform and like start cold pitching these venues, uh, to play like that, that was just preparing me to start businesses like I think they're a hundred percent connected and that's an incredible trajectory and I think your story um a lot of people might find value in that because when you think about the word entrepreneur it carries so much weight right and I think um there's a little bit of analysis paralysis right like you can go on 
on any search engine and say, you know, what are the tools needed to become an entrepreneur? And it's easy to be intimidated to say like, can I do that? Can I do all of that? Especially when you have to bootstrap at the beginning, which it sounds is exactly what I, what you did. You were the dynamic package. You were not only performing, you were selling yourself, you were finding your audience, you were finding your community, you were uh, building the community that was help also going to scale the, the, the movement that you were building. Can you speak to that? Can you speak to like, you kind of just went for it, but for a lot of people who have the idea first and then are doing the research, what is the importance of having a book like Hefa and training and having a Latina speak to that, but also how do you kind of overcome that, overcome those feelings of kind of like you feel small or, or that's a lot of work. So that is actually, that's a great question because that's actually one of the main reasons why I wanted to write this book is because like I mentioned, Woman Crush grew very quickly, but in in theory, that really sounds great and impressive, right? But it actually was kind of really horrible because (laughs) I, um, around year two and a half, um, it got to the point where we had grown so quickly, but I had never actually built a solid foundation for the organization so that we could actually no longer grow because of this. Like it was, I I will never forget the moment that I realized that, oh, maybe I messed up um, somewhere down the line because we had just finished our, um, the first South by Southwest showcase that we did. It was an incredible day. It was like a full day of just amazing uh, women singer songwriters from all over the country. It was like seven hours of music, like over 500 people came through the door. It It was incredible. Probably one of the best days of my life. However, at the end of the night, I just started to cry. Like I was like ugly crying and another music industry founder came over and he was like, oh my God, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was just like, this was amazing. And he was like, yeah, I know. Like, why are you crying? Like, that just don't, don't look like happy tears. And I was just like, well, I don't really know what to do next. Like, I don't know how to level up from, from this because of X, Y, Z reasons. And that was when he was just kind of like, well, you know, this, this sounds like a foundational issue that like you might have to revisit. And I was just like, yeah. So it was at that moment that I decided to kind of like fix everything and, um, kind of relaunch in a way with a different structure, but, um, it is, it was very important to me to get this information out there because I didn't know when I was first starting out, the importance of a financial plan. It was really important for me to get this information out there because if I could prevent other people who are starting out from making the same mistakes that I did when I was first starting out, like that's just really one of my my main goals um, with this book because it really stunted our growth in so many ways. Wow, So so coming up from really uh, a kind of inflection point where you realized like, oh man, there's something foundational that I need to address. And then being able to turn around and not only reassess and repivot, like rebuild, but also say, I want to share this with, with communities that could benefit from this. I think that that is 
huge. That is amazing. And I'm so excited to get into the actual, some of the actual actionable tips that you have in here. And it's more than tips. It, it's like research. It's research that you've done through experience. And I'm sure through consulting with other entrepreneurs that emprendedoras can then incorporate into their foundations. Um, so as you share, there's a lot of research to be done before we dive into a business idea, right? And this is a learning that you had after your own endeavors. So we know the exact who, what, when, where, and why of our business. What do you think serves entrepreneurs best when it comes to distinguishing themselves? Uh, and what, what is open, often overlooked, would you say, in the foundation and, and kind of defining your business? Um, particularly with doing market research, I think that you know, what comes naturally to, to some people is like the who we're doing this for, right? Like who we want to serve, like basic demographics, like knowing like, okay, I'm targeting Latinas with this business, millennials, you know, who um, are in New York or whatever, right? Like that stuff pr comes pretty easily to some people. But I think um, the, the actual like market, size um is something that that a lot of businesses don't look into that much in the actual like like power of who they're targeting um sometimes people don't look into that that much so for example let's say um let's say I wanted to start like a a luxury I'm just going to throw out something random, a luxury mug business. <laughs> and I wanted to charge $80 for a coffee mug, but I wanted to target millennial Latinas. In my market research, I would probably find that there are not a lot of millennial Latinas that would pay $80 for a luxury mug. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I don't haven't actually done the research for that, but I'm just guessing. And so that that's one of the things that's an, a bit of an exaggerated example, right? But I, I think it's one of the things where you have to think about like, you know, who actually you're targeting and what you're hoping to provide for them. And if they would actually, if enough of them would be actually be interested in that enough to sustain your business and not only to be able to stay, sustain you right now, but like one year from now, are people still going to want to buy $80 luxury mugs? Two years from now, are people still going to want to buy that? Five years from now, are people still going to want to buy that? Um, and so I think those are a couple of the things that, that people often overlook. Yeah. And I think that this is something that we hear a lot about, and perhaps we may not know what it means when we hear it. Um, market research. How does one actually go about conducting market research? Oh, well, it's so fun. Um, I love, I love market research. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, we are very fortunate to live in the age of Google. Um, so a lot of this stuff is pretty easy. So there are a few market research databases that you can look into. We do have some examples in the book, but my favorite way to do market research is to one, uh, survey your ideal uh, customer, survey your ideal customer. Um, you could then take those survey results and turn them into one-on-one -on -one interviews. Um, and then the second way is to interview people who you admire, right, um, about their experiences building similar 
similar companies. Um, when I was preparing to write this book, I interviewed a couple of authors because I never written a book before. I was pretty scared and I had to do my own market research about what it's like to be an author and actually release a book in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> too. Like it's such a different experience. So um, definitely talking to people, colleagues in the industry and your ideal audience. Yeah. I love the, uh, attention that you bring to just talking to your community. Right. And it comes back to like, not being scared to approach the very people that you may find in your circles. Once you start this business and the kind of people that you want to purchase, or you're, you're entertaining the idea of them purchasing your, your service or your items. And, and I'm going to just quote your exact literature and your exact task, uh, since we were just talking about databases, but you, you recommend a few in your text, uh, including Census Bureau, Alexis audience overlap tool, statistica.com. So yeah, all all your own research. I'm just, I'm just reciting back what you've written and given us, Ashley. I am quite horrible with names. So I remembered the Alexis one, but I was going to call it Alice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, listen, all of this is in HIFA and training. So some really (laughs) actionable stuff, right? Um, Now, as, as we do our research, as we plan out our business, there's a lot of, of planning that happens, right? A lot of foundations are laid. Um, and after we do so much work ahead of the actual launch, changes may happen. Changes always do happen. We, we deal with this in our daily lives. We deal with this at established corporations, established jobs. So they will for sure happen. I'm sure in entrepreneurship, what is the best way to deal with change when you've laid all these foundations? And then you're like, Oh, there goes my, X variable that had, that I had laid and now it's completely different. Like, I think that with, with any business, we have to be open to pivoting. And sometimes it means pivoting quite quickly. Um, and what's really helpful to think about is that at the end of the day, like we are trying to serve our community, our ideal customers, you know, and, their needs are going to be different and we need to be able to keep up with their needs. So the way that I run my business now in COVID times is probably not going to be the same way that I run my business in let's say five years, right? Because the needs of my community change the same way with Woman Crush, a live music organization. When COVID hit, we were just kind of like, oh, what should we do? Because we can't really do what we've been doing for the last four years. Um, We turned to the community and we said, hey, what do you guys need? You guys need to know how to make money right now. Okay, cool. We'll do a whole series of virtual events about how to make money right now. Awesome. Okay, what else do you need? You still need money? Okay, cool. We're going to start giving out grants to people. <laughs> Let's do that now. <laughs> um, and so I, I think it's just keeping in mind that uh, changes are going to happen. But at the end of the day, as a founder, it is, it's, it's our job to learn what our our people need because without them we don't really have a business at the end of the day yeah and it sounds it certainly sounds like you're saying anticipate the needs of your people but also what you did go out and talk to them and ask them 
you don't really have to anticipate them. And that that's one of the things that I was going to say about, about market research is that it doesn't actually stop once you've launched your business. It's actually a continuous practice that I recommend everyone does like set your Google alerts for industry trends, you know, read whatever like blogs or books or listen to podcasts about your industry. So you know what's going on there to always be informed um, because things are going to change. The world changes, um, industries change. And um, like if, if the last two years have shown us anything, right, it's, it's that, <laughs> um, And I don't think that we need to put so much pressure on like, oh my gosh, but we have to know like what they're going to need next year, because that might be, I'm not saying impossible, nothing's impossible, but you know, it's a little bit challenging. And so I think uh, looking at things quarterly um, and kind of going from there is usually a practice that I recommend. Mm, I think that that's really good advice and something that we may not all have thought, you know, that we need to be that ready for a pivot as much as a quarterly basis. So in a world where we are expected to pivot and pivot often at that, where are the places that we can leave that buffer so we can give ourselves that space to make pivots not as um, strenuous on the business itself? I think that when people hear the word pivot, they like automatically panic and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to shut down the business. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And, and the truth is it's, it's not always that, right? You don't always have to stop everything that you're doing, but also know that if you do need to take a little pause, like it's totally fine. Um, especially if you're taking that pause to regroup and come back with better offerings for your people, because the last thing that you want to do is, is continue doing what you're doing. And it's not going to be helpful for you or the people that you're serving. And then you're just going to like, basically just drown um, and burn yourself out trying to keep something that's not working alive. Um, And so it, it is difficult, but I think planning quarterly, um, taking a look at how, how things go quarterly. So just keeping in mind, like what's worked for me this quarter, what hasn't worked for me this quarter, what opportunities are there next quarter that I can take advantage of and use my strengths to execute these things in the following quarter. I love that very tactical approach while also pacing yourself while also not stretching yourself to anticipate what it is that you're going to do every single day for like the next 10 years. Um, so that a lot to be learned from that. Um, now I want to pivot on that, on that note (laughs) a little bit. I want to change subjects, change tracks here and talk a little bit about competition, which in your book, you talk a little bit about analytical way, assessing your competition, so to speak, and analyzing their target customers, services, price point, et cetera, which is super important. But how do we navigate a world when we're spearing a company that has direct competition, um, which I mean, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, first of all, and how do we overcome the scarcity mindset in this landscape? 
uh, and choose collaboration over competition, which is also a favorite word of Maris, who's founder of the Mujerista, who you've worked very closely so with. So I'm mentioning chapter six because chapter six is called Ser de Diferente es Ser Fuerte. And so it's basically about how to use what makes you unique or different um, and identify your strengths um, within that to really create your unique value or your unique selling proposition. Um, I am a really strong believer that no one is going to run the same exact business as you because no one has lived everything that you have lived through. I was hoping you would say this. Exactly. <laughs> like exactly like you've lived it, you know, like no one has had that exact experience or the exact knowledge that you have. Like no one is going to create the exact same business that you have. What I think people get afraid of is like, yeah, they might be so similar concepts, but at the end of the day, like that's, that's the importance of running this competitor analysis, right? Is like seeing what they're doing really well, seeing what you, what you wouldn't do that they're doing, right? Not necessarily that they're doing that you think that they're wrong, um, but it's just different from what you, what what you would do and then how you're going to use what makes you you to kind of put that um and make it more you that was a lot of use but I hope I I hope I explained that correctly <laughs> yeah what I'm hearing is that you'd never have a direct competition because yeah. your experience is yours only and that's actually part of your business plan you yep. incorporate your journey which you talk yeah, about also in the book. So I, that I, I feel like that can provide like people some like relief because in it, un unfortunately we do have this narrative. I feel like that has in part been spoken to us that we necessarily haven't always generated. That's like, oh, you know, Latinos have a crap is in the bucket mentality. And I honestly, I look around and truthfully, I see so many people helping each other out. I see so many opportunities for interdisciplinary work for uh, within discipline work as well. And I see people helping each other out and people talking to each other. I see community. And so I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that that's our future, but I think that people, when, you know, you're starting entrepreneurship, it's a scary world. You know, you're operating using new tools. You're operating maybe with your budget if you don't have a job. So it is scary. It is scary to say, you know, like I see competition, like, does that mean, you know, they will succeed and not I. And so we don't want to get caught in that trap because as, as I appreciate, as you said, that everybody has their own journey and you get to take advantage of that and use it as a critical part of building your business. I think there is enough uh, room for all of us to succeed. And I think that we'll actually succeed faster if we work together. Um, and especially like, you know, this book is for Latina. So I'm just going to speak to that is that the more of us that start businesses and do well, um, the more we can help inspire other Latinas, the future generation of Latinas to see what's possible and for them to start their own businesses and kind of restart this cycle of more and more Latinas helping each other start businesses and grow businesses. And, you know, what we were just talking about, like 
become VCs and invest in those businesses. Like, I think we need more of that, like so much more of that. And if we come into this with like, a, oh, well, she's doing the same thing as me. So I'm not going to work for her and I'm not going to refer people to her. And like, no, it's a no for me. Like, <laughs> I don't think that we should do that. I don't think that's going to get us anywhere. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And 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 there's just like, I think where you came from also, like I see it shining through in what you're telling us right now, which is the power of community. Um, and we are stronger in numbers. Now, I love that you don't shy away from money in this book, uh, from diversifying your revenue streams to cost of a business to budget analysis. Uh, perhaps one of the first questions HFS will have to ask themselves is how to price their services, right? So you're building out your offerings and you're putting a ticket like price item tag next to it. How do people do this, especially in a world where increasingly, um, where we're increasingly working, uh, you know, not only outside of the corporate mindset, but also across the country. So just like logistically, right. We're working online. I mean, you need to first figure out, um, especially if you're at that point where you're like thinking about leaving your full-time job and you'd be relying on your business for all of your expenses, right? I'm just going to use this example because there's many different, many different examples of people starting businesses. But in this case, particularly, like you need to figure out your personal experience uh, expenses and how you would pay yourself to live comfortably, maybe not like Beyonce for the first few years, but you know, comfortably so you can pay your bills and, um, and save some money and then take a look at your business expenses. Um, you know, and that goes from anywhere from software to office space, if you need it. Um, and then also take a look at your capacity. So that's actually one of the things that, that I learned, um, I had to learn, especially, you know, for service and product-based businesses, you have to work around your nine to five sometimes, right? So if you want to make X amount of dollars from this business that is part-time, you have to price for that because you don't have 40 hours a week to take on clients. Actually, even when you work full-time with clients, you don't have 40 hours a week to work with clients because maybe 10 hours a week, you have to do marketing and the other 15 hours a week, you have to do stuff for those clients. So it also depends a lot on your capacity. Um, And so one of the really cool things about the finance chapter in HIFOT and training um, is that the one page financial plan actually makes you think about that and how many hours you actually have um, to work on your business um, and how much you're able to produce in those hours um, if you are a product-based business and take all of that stuff into consideration to test out your pricing. And, and in the book, I also talk about having like this beta period of your business so that you can also test your pricing because we might not always get it right the first time and that's fine. Um, you know, people are allowed to change their prices. So if you think you figured it out and you take your first few clients and you're just like, actually, I was totally 
undercharging. Like I need to charge a little bit more for me to be able to do X, Y, Z, for me to be able to do more for my client, right? Because I want to be able to provide them with this value. Raise your prices. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot of us, especially perfectionists can learn from that. It's okay to change. (laughs) I'm raising my hand here because I'm one of these people. I want to ask you about another learning lesson that you've had as an entrepreneur, as a creative, as a mobilizer, what has been your biggest money learning? Uh, don't be afraid of money. That's, that's probably a big one for me. Um, I don't be afraid of money, money, uh, people who have money are not always evil. I think that's something that, I grew up thinking and I had to change my mindset a lot. Um, and I recently, I've, I've read a, a couple of books that have helped me a lot with money mindset stuff. And most recently I finished We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Um, I'm a big fan, but specifically there is a part where she talks about how we should all be, you know, raising our prices. And if we're scared that like our community won't be able to afford these prices, that there are different ways to work with different people. Um, so for example, take me, right? Um, when we're first starting out with businesses, a lot of us can't afford business coaches, but they might be able to afford this $22.95 book or for free, a newsletter, or a podcast. Um, You know, um, there are different ways that we can help our community and still make money. And just because we have a lot of money doesn't mean we're going to turn into um, a not nice person. Um, We can actually, the more money that we have, the more of an impact we can make and the more people that we can help. And that's something that took me probably like three years into um, starting my first business that that I learned um, that I had to kind of get through. That's so powerful. And I think we're starting to see capital being used in these kind of ways, right? Mm -hmm. Capital as a collective benefit, uh, using money, reinvesting it in our communities to be able to take that and say, okay, we're going to take ownership of this. We're operating in a capitalist society to be able to take ownership within that context and say, we're going to make this work for us and for our interests and vote with our money, I think is very, very powerful. So that's, that's a great learning to share, Ashley. And and thank you so much for sharing just literally a smattering of all the learnings that we have from HeFi and training. There's so much more in here. Very happy for your launch. Very excited. Uh, And thanks for writing this book. Thank you for having me. That was Ashley K. Stoyana Vojeda, business development strategist, coach, and author of her latest book, HIFI in Training. You can continue following her on Instagram via her handle at Ashley K. Stoyana Ojeda. Thank you, mi gente, for joining us this week on Moneda Moves. Before you go, please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released. You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money moves via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com. That's 
monedamoves.substack.com. I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.